All right. Welcome to the IEG Thursday thing. This thing that we've been doing every Thursday for a while now. We're now that we're on the podcast side of stuff, we've uh, we're like what, 14 episodes in? I don't know. We're we're 16 17 episodes in. This is the 17th episode. That's uh and we haven't missed a single week yet other than the one that uh got drained unfortunately. Nothing we could do about that one. But we made up for it. Either way, um so this week, uh, we have some fairly large boogeyman announcements, um, and there's going to be a lot of questions about this. So what we decided to do was bring the tuner on, uh, welcome back Graham from Boosted Performance Tuning, and uh, we're going to have a conversation with Graham about uh, basically when good engine management needs to be better engine management or maybe like you certain engine management fits what you're trying to do a little better um basically higher level math needs to be done with engine management and we we want to do bigger things and what we were using served us very well but unfortunately is um not going to be able to do some of the stuff we want to do so what we want to do is kind of explain some of that and and go from there so graham how you doing this week doing good doing good staying busy how about you solid man it's been uh the first year was pretty nuts um it's it's been kind of crazy around here we also got warranty on we i I love having warranty on here um he's hello hello Warranty's been around the the Boogeyman project before it even was at IEG. He's been coming to the track me along with Graham um, for a very, very long time. So we're all really familiar with this car and some of the stuff, uh, the problems we've had and haven't had and what we needed to do and what we couldn't do or our limitations. And I think this was the, the proper three people to have this conversation with because um, we're all really excited. So let's... Let's start with where Boogeyman is and what the situation is with Boogeyman currently. Okay. So Boogeyman started as I needed an ECU and I was actually going to try to pull this off on a stock ECU. And Graham was like, oh God, no. Graham had a Haltech 2500 Elite that he was doing some testing on with his time attack car. And he had decided because he was running drive-by-wire and a few other things and can at it, the the later cars run can um and if you want to explain can a little bit graham so we don't lose everybody completely but why that that ecu at the time really didn't play well with what you were doing and why it got passed down to me sure yeah so real quick so yeah can bus is a communication standard that pretty much anything any subaru that's 08 and newer uses it's how like the um, DCCD, the ABS, the body control module, and the ECU all, all communicate together. Rather than having a whole bunch of wires where every sensor is connected to everything that needs to see it, the CAN bus is just two simple wires that allow lots of information to be sent at really high speeds. The problem is that if you don't replicate all the OEM CAN bus communications correctly, both in terms of receiving and sending, When you replace the ECU, the other systems in the car won't work correctly. Long story short, at that point, granted, this is a while ago with with Haltech, and they've come a lot farther. They've got CAN bus working a lot better now on the newer stuff. But at the time, that was a big hang-up. And then some of the other controls 
in earlier firmwares that they had back then also weren't working very well for my car. And it just didn't feel like a good solution for uh, 2008 plus the time. But as we, as we said, and as we've seen, it was better, far better than a stock ECU and something that was easy to integrate right into your car. Yes. Okay. So we decided at this point um, that most of the wiring that was in my existing chassis was kind of crap anyway. So we decided to use the, the Helltech universal wiring harness. What really sucks is right after this, both aim who use the, the dash uh, display that I use is made by a company called aim aim and Helltech both released um, solutions that included a, a PDM, which is a power distribution module um, that basically gets rid of your fuse box and everything goes through this. So we're still on a basic fuse box and everything, but we're on their, their universal wiring harness with a basic fuse box. And we built the harness from the ground up around this Haltech 2500. And to be perfectly honest, in, in our application, that Haltech was great. Um, I mean, we went on one championships with it, set a whole ton of records. It, it did basically everything we needed it to do. Um, we, I, I have the, the support we got from Helltech when we needed it was, was top notch. You know, I, I, I don't want this in any way to be a bash on what that product is and what it can do for the right people. Um, but some of the stuff that we want to do in the future, unfortunately, the, the Helltech probably isn't the right choice for it. So Graham then started messing around. Uh, you started playing around with Motec um for a little while and that's a one example of a what's called higher end engine management um and then you and mtron um i i don't know did you end up having a couple customers with mtron you are the reason i ended up starting talking to mtron yeah so i'll, I'll give you the quick run run on this actually um so Yes, looking for something that was going to integrate a lot cleaner with CAN bus and just work a lot better all around, I went to the MoTeC ECU and I specifically got the plug and play kit from John Reed Racing. John Reed's become a great friend of mine. I talk to him all the time and he, he actually supplied the plug and play ECU kit for the side-by-side -side as well, the YXZ that's got turbo on it. So he's um he's been he's been great to work with and so he provided the plug-in ECU and I was able to you know, kind of figure out how to use Mtron, put together a map and start it up. And it started and ran. It was on the dyno making full throttle pulls in about 30 minutes. And I was just, I was blown away. I was like, this That's is incredible. this is what you really need. You need some engine management that can do everything as well or better than stock. So I used that for a long time and it was fantastic. And it was, it was sat on my car for quite a while. Um, the jump to Mtron was basically kind of two cars at the same time, both Subaru powered, both really interesting. And they were both through six star motorsports. And ironically enough at the time, um, you know, our old pal Mark over there was actually the one that, you know, kind of like said, Hey, let's try out Mtron. And I was like, Oh, you know, I've looked at it. We've never, you and oh, I talked man. To yes. I, in fact, you and I both kind of fought it. Yeah. So we had talked to them. We talked to Nick Nicholas, who I talk to all the time now at Mtron. We talked to him at um, SEMA. Mm -hmm. And we saw the product and we saw it was pretty good, but it was just kind of like it needed some things, you know, it was, yep. it just wasn't quite all the way there. And they had a lot of stuff in the pipe and, you know, like, okay, well, let's circle back to this and kind of check on it later. Well, by the time it got brought back up for these two projects, I'd circle back around. I'm like, oh, cool. They have pretty much 
90% of the things that I was looking for that I felt like were missing to want to jump into this. So we did these two projects kind of side by side. One of them was that 760 horsepower 2010 Legacy GT. Remember that rowdy thing? Yep. Where Six Star did the custom GTX 3584 Yeah, that, so, so people understand which one that is. That's the front-mounted uh, turbo. Yep. That's it. Yep. So that's the it's goofy totally, yeah, EJ with the with the like the FA style turbo down in the front. Yep. And Six Star made the custom turbo kit to fit a, a thirty five eighty four kind of up a little bit behind the passenger headlight, I believe. Yeah. Or something. It was, I, it I was up in that area. Yeah. But anyway, we we needed a way to tune that car, and it turned out that Mtron had the ability to to run that car and do the can bus and everything. So we ordered it kind of on a whim and I spent many hours on that car getting it all set up and it was my first really big horsepower Subaru that we did and it all it all came together really well. The car ran and drives amazing like stock but makes a crap load of power, has all the engine safeties. So that was one project that kind of was like, wow, this is really good. The other one was that that Subaru powered Saker sport, sports car that you yes. know the, the Those guys car. were always great to work with, and they were really. Yeah, they were using these really archaic old emerald ECUs. That they didn't even have uh, O2 sensors. There's not had, even exactly. like they didn't it even was have crazy. a crazy. Yep, there was no <laughs> fuel control. There was no knock control. There was no. There was so little in there. It was a joke. It was like basically running an an, an 80s four wheeler. That's yeah. Or 90s <laughs> four wheeler with fuel injection. Five speed transmission, front wheel drive only. But for them, it was the back back of yep. the car. Very, very, very basic. And, you know, every time like we, we put the car on the dyno and we'd get it perfect, but then he'd go, he'd go race it. And it was a lot colder or it was a lot hotter or things would change. And it was such a challenge because we didn't have any data. We didn't have any type of good temperature control. And finally, they you know, they wanted something better. So we talked to him about Tron and we set it up with an Mtron and then they sent the car out to me in Iowa and also added like paddle shifting and gear shift control needed all that stuff too. And we set it all up, and now the car, the car is amazing. He can actually take it out and enjoy it. If there is something funny with it, he can send me a log, and within a few minutes, I can tell him, "Oh, your fuel pump's going bad," or "Oh, I think this vacuum came off." And you know, he can even look at the logs himself and, and, and troubleshoot some of this stuff himself. So, yep, it, it's made supporting that car and made him enjoy that car on the track a hundred times more than he did before. So that was going from you know, uh, uh, essentially a calculator trying to run a engine to, uh, you know, um, high, higher end engine management. Um, yep. So let's let's fast forward to that. Now you've started to mess around with Mtron. You got interested in it. You even, yep. didn't you run one on one of your own cars? So I, yeah. So I, I was so impressed after these two cars and wanted to take a deeper dive into some more of the functionality, like this, exactly the same stuff we're going to do on your car as well as on our car. So we we did sell the we did sell the Motec and we picked up an Mtron and have that in there now and I've already I've already got it up and running and driving and um some of the a lot of these features are already starting to kind of work you know you know I'm in progress of getting some other stuff set up and I got some intercooler yeah. but we'll have the car out this year to really push it so but I spent some time on it in our own car to kind of refine some of the drivability the startup the idle the push it out let it sit overnight on E85 old start right. All those little details, you know, I, I was I was ninety nine percent of the way there on the legacy just with the time I had. But it's always that last one percent that really makes a difference between uh, an OK tune or one that sure it might work for a quarter mile pass and the one that starts up and runs. And you're surprised it's not a stock ECU anymore. So to get that one 
percent I had to put it in my car and I had to spend some 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 good hours on it to dial in all that little stuff. But now at this point, yeah, we, you saw that 2016 this? STI that I shared about recently. That car, you would not know that car has a different ECU in it. It runs and drives as good or better than stock, even on big injectors, but has all the motorsport safeties. He has the ability to change his SI drive instead of just changing boost. He actually changed it for the different purposes. He's going to drag race that car and road race that car and do some half mile racing with that car. So he can use each mode to dial in for that type of racing without having to upload a new map. Yep. You know, he's got the rolling launch control. He's got the motorsports launch control, you know, where it builds boost and holds, holds things nicely. He's using, he's using a ton of that functionality and it's amazing. Can we go back a little bit to that 1% that you glossed over, but I think it's worth emphasizing. Um, sure. Cold starts on high ethanol blends, stuff that is common knowledge that people think is, is just hard to do or impossible. You figured out how to do it and it's just adjustments like anything else in a tune. So going from yep. impossible to pretty darn easy. Well, I mean, yep. to Graham's defense, he was he's actually been pretty good about that, you know, living in that environment himself, but plus... Um, like doing that on stock ECUs, but it being able to just do that in general is uh that's that's a testament to solid tuning, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah. So um what I wanna so you you started messing around with some of the new functionality. Now now here's where we we get into this. Um Boogie, we've been doing this forever. A lot of these same things that you're saying, well, we've got an Mtron. You know, you can remote in and find stuff on my ECU and things like that with my my Haltech, and it's it's solid. It, you can complain about the software or whatever you want, but the the you know your way around it enough. If somebody's really familiar with it, they're going to get around just fine in it. You know, it's 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 a capable. You know, we have a bunch of motorsport safeties built into it. There's you know a lot of that stuff exists. What the question really is here. Why would somebody like me want to leave or would it behoove me to leave a, you know, a perfectly good ECU, a Haltech, a Link, something along those lines and go to an Mtron or a Motec? Um, and, and in this situation, I'm just flat out, we're going to an Mtron. So uh, we, we have a new partnership with Mtron and we're really excited to do some stuff. And I what I want to get into some of the crazier things we're going to do later, but like on, on like a broad scale, why would somebody you know sell this to me? You know what I mean? Tell me why why I'd want to plunk down and go after this. You know? Sure, I can I can yeah. We'll do the real high level answer now, and then we'll we'll dive into the detail. But the their high level answer answer is really two things. It's do you want to do you want to have seventy to eighty percent? consistent perfect control or do you want to be a lot closer to 100 and that translates to picking up time in every section of the track to go faster do you do you want to go faster with more consistent fuel control and torque control and more consistent engine management what's and, causing that though well we'll kind of we'll kind of get into that i think that's a, yep. a deeper conversation but okay if you know i would i just what I would just tell you if we were start this conversation is that from experience of using all these different ECUs can tell you that the control, the fuel control, and then the, the, the ability to use the torque model and the way the engine can be ran is, is better and creates more consistent behavior when you put your foot down, essentially. You as a driver are, are going to feel like this car is smoother. You're not going to have the likelihood of 
stumble, stumbling into a weird area, part throttle, high load coming through a corner. It's going to be the airflow can be calculated better and you're going to put your foot back down and have a better response and gain some time through lack of lag. I would, I would tell and you that, that has other, happened. The other big thing I will say is, is the data on the back end to diagnose issues. There's been many times where I have a pretty good idea of what's going on with the data that we get logged in on board with the Helltech, but it's not nearly as fast and as much as I really need to see some little details. So the other thing I would tell you is that the data I have at my disposal to go through and comb through after a session is significantly better and much more likely to be able to troubleshoot issues faster. Okay. So you would rate it at 70% of the capabilities on an otherwise high-end ECU. So that Well, yeah, I would, you know, when I, and, and what I'm rating is, let's, let's call it accuracy of running the engine. How accurate, how accurate is the airflow calculated at all throttle positions and all boost levels versus, you know, what can a different ECU, how can it calculate better? And that's kind of what we'll, what we'll dig into a little bit more, but the calculations, it's, it's at the beginning, Dewey said, you know, we're, we're doing more math. It's more of that modeling. There's a, there's a yep. lot of things that are modeled really well. We've got turbo dynamics, we've got torque calculations, and we've got airflow calculations that are on another level and allow us to really dial an engine in even more, even better. And so when you say turbo dynamics, <laughs> what's that? When you say turbo dynamics, what, I mean, explain what you mean by that. What we're going to, what we're going to be able, what we can do with Mtron by giving it the right information of pressures and temperatures and, and turbine wheel speed is we're going to be able to know exactly where on the turbo efficiency map it, the turbo is operating at all times. So in, in other words, like the, the German, German style ECUs, a lot of those have this type of modeling built in and that's why they, that's why their fuel model and their boost control is so amazing and accurate. We're yeah. going to have that ability with Mtron, with your car and my car, to know exactly where the turbo efficiency is, to know if we're going to be running over the surge line and running in the compressor surge, or to know if we're running outside the efficiency edge of the turbo. We can keep it so where this, we want. This is where, uh, you know, um, compressor maps and stuff start really coming in handy. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're going to basically have a digital compressor map in the, in, in the tuning model to use to do things like yes. operate your anti-surge valve to make sure that your toe speed stays no, up but you don't have compressor surge. That is where we're going next. This is, so one of the things we want to do, okay, one of the things we really want to do is not only do we want to implement a, a electronic wastegate, okay, so it's no longer actuated by vacuum, we're talking about doing the same thing with the bypass valve but it's going to operate differently. Um, so the blow-off valve is going to function drastically different. Um, this is something we're, we're hopefully going to have imp implemented um, you know, right out of the gate. I know you're starting to play around with us now. Can you kind of explain the concept of what, what the mad science, because Mtron's very excited about us doing this. And yeah. um, the more They're they crazy. talk about it, the more you talk about it, the more ridiculously excited I'm getting about it. Yeah. One, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I've gotten from the people over at Mtron is that they're really bummed that, that people love Mtron and they're using Mtron on the, all these crazy builds, but they're not using all this really cool stuff. 
they're just using it like they would a stock ECU and they're super happy with it. And it, it does all that extremely well. But when I, when I tell them what we're, what we're trying to do, and just like as you did too, they're like, oh, thank God someone's going to use all this turbo modeling we did the math for. <laughs> they, have, they have hours and hours and hours into this, and not a lot of people are taking advantage of it. I That's think partially wild. because it's, it's challenging to understand and it's challenging to implement. And they have great documentation, but it's still tricky. It's also yeah. obviously a little bit expensive because you have to invest in more sensors, invest in more wiring. Yep. So it's not exactly like a Subaru has any of these sensors to begin with. We have to add them all. So there is certainly that. But okay, yes, we're going we're gonna to dive in. We're going to use all this. And I, I think you wanted me to specifically talk about the anti-surge, right? Yes. So, so there's some things that we're going to... First off, there's some sensors that are going to be added in. Um, we need a, a turbo speed sensor, okay? Yeah. Um, and there's there's other stuff we're going to need to add in. This is these are things that you just there's no possible way to do these on a stock ECU. Yeah, and it's, it, it, it's, like what we're talking about doing here is very very exciting, especially from a time attack standpoint. Yep. So, so the so the real the real quick overview on the sensors needed. You need you need the turbo inlet and pressure. You have to know or sorry, um, turbo inlet temperature and pressure. So you have to know the temperature of the air getting pulled into the intake to the turbo and the pressure. And obviously the pressure is going to be generally atmospheric, but if you have, if you're running a turbo inlet, which you should be, so you have a filter, there might be, there might be a bit of a, a pull down on the pressure. So you have the pressure before the turbo, you have the temperature coming out of the turbo before the intercooler. And then you have a, a pressure and temperature sensor, a T-map sensor in front of the throttle body that basically provides the pressure in front of the throttle plate as well as the temperature, which becomes a main component of your charge temperature. And then, as you mentioned, turbo speed. With those variables, it can calculate the pressure ratio of the turbo, and it knows the speed, and therefore it knows, again, where it's at on the compressor map. The value of that is that we can essentially have an electronic bypass valve of some kind. I'm going to test the one from TurboSmart that's got the little boost controller built in the top, essentially. We're also yep. probably going to be doing some testing with very small drive-by-wire throttle bodies so we can open them up you know, a bit yeah, more uh, exactly. I've heard people boost. are modifying like small Bosch throttle bodies to do this. Yep. I think yep. a little, a little 30, 38, like a little, little throttle body from like a little tiny engine works perfect. Yep. But the idea is that if you, you know, normally let's just think about when you're going into boost, you know, you, you go full throttle, the boost builds up. And most people, when they're done making boost, they lift all the way off the throttle, right? And at that point, you've got a bunch of boost pressure built up behind the throttle that closed. It has to go somewhere. So you've got your blow off valve that opens because it's got a boost reference line on top that's hooked up to the intake manifold on the other side of the throttle body. So when you're full, when you're full throttle, Boost is holding it closed. As soon as you close it, the vacuum and the lack of boost essentially opens it up and whoosh goes all your air. The yep. problem with that is, you know, even if you lift a little bit off, a lot of times one of two things might happen depending on where you're at, what your turbo size is and everything else is you might lose too much boost pressure. You might lose a lot of your boost and lose your turbo speed before you get back on the throttle again. Or it might be the opposite where you lift off a little bit because you need to scrub some speed for a really high speed corner. But what happens is the air has nowhere to go. The, the bypass valve's not opening up yet because there isn't enough differential pressure to do so, but the air is trying to flow backwards and surging against the compressor. And that's not good either. We don't it's want that condition because it's, it creates, you know, it's a choppy really rough feel. on the turbo. You can trash the turbo. It creates a choppy feel and you'll, you can lose some shaft speed as well. 
ideally what you want to do is open is figure out when you're starting to head past the surge line and open up the bypass valve a little bit electronically to let off some of that air, let it go somewhere, but keep your turbo spinning. And then the moment you're back full throttle again, you close that valve and you've got instant torque response back to continue on through the corner that you lifted for. So right. basically it keeps the turbo spinning. Okay. Yep. At, at, the, at a given speed, whatever speed you're trying to maintain with it by just slightly letting out the amount of the, the least amount of pressure it needs to and maintains exactly what it needs to. So in a way, I'm not saying it works like analog because analog works on the exhaust side by basically forcing the turbo to stay up at speed, but it's kind of like the opposite of analog by not letting the turbo slow down. That's exactly right. Right. Exactly. We're not yeah. doing anything. Now we can, we can certainly talk about anti-lag and that side of things, but all we're doing in this case is we're assuming that you're, you've got enough throttle into it. You've still got a, a lot of exhaust flow. You're just creating more air from the turbocharger that can actually go in the engine because you needed to close the throttle a bit to reduce the torque Yep. and, and, and letting it, letting opening the bypass valve a little bit and letting it maintain that shaft speed that it wants to maintain, but let the pressure go somewhere. So it's not surging is exactly what we want to do. That's the more ideal way to handle that scenario. So Josh Aldrich in the chat is asking, um, are you guys trying the charge air control valve or the ALS valve? I'm assuming the charge air control valve. This is the charge, basically charge air control. It's, you know, it's uh, the the term I like to use that I, there's different terms for it, but I like to call it like it's either air bleed or anti-surge is that is the main two pieces of terminology. You're bleeding off some air on, on the charge side. So if we're we're losing that, we're also essentially just getting rid of the bypass valve. Can this thing? Um, and again, this is now we're kind of wandering over into oh, no, hardware. No, getting rid of the bypass things. valve. If, so the bypass, the do, the bypass or blow valve will still be there then. Yep. So if in in the case, like let's talk about this Turbo Smart EM valve that I have for my car. Okay. It still has it still has a vacuum line on the top. If if I don't hook up the solenoid on top, it just sits there open and it operates exactly like a normal bypass. Valve. Okay. What what the what the boost control solenoid allows me to do is if I'm in a situation where it's not going to be opening the bypass valve pneumatically, it can it can bleed off some of that pressure to basically get to a point where it will crack the valve a little bit and keep me from going over the surge line with the turbo. I have two questions. And it can do both. And this is one single unit instead of having to do a bypass valve and a small throttle body. Oh, yeah. So it'll only so I'll I'll only control that solenoid to bleed when I need to. Otherwise, when I when I do a full throttle lift, the solenoid's not going to be doing anything and it's going to allow it to do a full blow off. This is sick. So I'm going (laughs) to I'm going to be testing that. This is so cool. I'll be testing that with, with my car. I want to see if, if, if one of these valves can be enough to do what we want to do for our application. So what here's we, my next question. How much of a pain in the ass is it going to be to set this up? To set up what? One of these? Electronic- like, you're going to have to model this thing out, you know, and it's going to be a lot of like partial throttle stuff and weird such like, Oh, it, I'm, gonna it, be- I'm, I'm assuming yeah. this tune when we start is probably going to feel like really good, but it's going to get exponentially better through the year. I'm, well, yeah. What's what's your first race of the year? Um, I was hoping to do uh Carolina. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're shooting for Carolina. Um, well, but not... it may be rev up. Yeah. <laughs> but well, rev up is when I really want to go for that yeah. damn record. <laughs> so I I 
my my goal, one of my goals here is to try to be able to get nasty to rev up, to have some fun with it there and to test it out. But that yeah. means I have to feel extremely confident and have done a ton of testing for that. So hopefully both of our cars will kind of develop in parallel here. But yes, to answer your question, it's going to be a lot of time on the dyno figuring this, figuring this out, you know, and getting the inputs yeah. right, getting the control right. And then it's going to be, then we're going to, we're going to have it close and we're going to go to the track and we're going to fine tune at the track. Yep. Essentially. That's so the only I don't way we're going to be able to do it. Too, I don't think it's going to be too difficult. And, you know, really it's like, the nice thing is we've, we've already got, we've instantly got that 70 to 80% perfect control right out of the bat, right? We're going to yep. have that. All we're going to be doing is trying to chase that last percentage. And if it's not working, if it's getting in the way, no big deal. We turn it off, we move on, we come back to it. So not like it's going to hold us back. It's only going to be something where we're going to just have to play with it until it gets us what we want. Yeah. I, I man, I'm, I'm psyched about it. And I'm, I'm really psyched that we're doing some newer and exciting things when it, it's, it kind of sucks when people think everything has been done on, you know, a particular platform, Subarus in general, like there's nothing new to do on an EJ or whatever. And then we have this conversation and how exciting is this? And let's just yeah. think about like, even like five or six years ago, you and I wouldn't have been even having this conversation. Like we were, we were excited oh. just to get proper boost control. <laughs> no, we had, we had no idea. We had no idea. This was, this was a thing, electronic bypass valves. And then we haven't even started talking about it yet, but electronic wastegates. Yes. You know? So that's, well, let's, let's actually wander that way. So now, well, now on. they before, also, have, okay. Okay. Before we, I want to, I, I touched on this turbo smart electronic valve and how it works, but yeah. I, I, I want to answer your other question about what if, what if you were using a small throttle body, would you sure. still have a large bypass valve? Yes. And the answer is, I think we, yes, we still want to use one so that again, on the real, on the full throttle lift, you still need some fast non-electronic way to dump the air safely. So you would still use a bypass valve. We would just use the small drive-by-wire throttle body as the air bleed. Now, is that for safety features? Because, you know, a throttle is going to just click open instantly. Well, throttle body, actually, there's there's going to be a slight bit of delay to get it open. But it, most even blow-off valves, they don't have to open a ton to let off a lot of air. But either yeah. way, I think you would you would want something just mechanical as that, like, literally safe. as a pop-off. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, you know, I'm not yeah. saying it, I'm not saying it can't be done with a throttle body. I've asked a few different people about it, what their recommendation was based on experience. And the feedback I've been getting is that it's a good idea to still have a regular blow off valve in, in the system. Yep. No, that's, got, that's super exciting. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I've got two questions. If you guys got a, a second. Sure. All right. Number one, you yeah, mentioned a while ago, turbo mapping. It, it sounds like you have to build that into the tune. I was thinking it could be canned by Mtron for a particular turbo model or maybe handled generally by their airflow model to make your life easier when you're tuning it. You're thinking you're going to have to go explore every one of those weird edge cases to get the turbo mapped correctly? No, not not exactly. Not exactly. What you're what you're essentially, excuse me one second, I got a, someone at the door here. I'm sorry. So, um Long story short, you also have to remember that different turbos react differently on different engines. You know, um, how a, a you know, G35 1050 like, like is on my car is going to, it's going to 
it's going to function differently. It's going to make boosts to different RPM. It's going to flow different amounts of air um, at a different boost differently That's on an Evo true. than it will on our car. Now, with that stated, I still think there is there is something that can be um, there's there's I, I'm I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I think they might be able to give you some sort of starting point. Um, and maybe that's something that's coming, you know, maybe they, they would work directly with Garrett, you know, and find some way to input their, uh, compressor maps over into however Mtron would need to eat that. You know what I mean? No, you say, okay. My apologies, guys. I'm back. All right. Turbos, turbos act differently on different engines, but it's not the turbos fault. The physics doesn't change what's going in magic happens. What's going out. It's the design of the engine, which Mtron should already have modeled. Well, hang on, warranty. You're let me let me try to help clarify some of this for you. I I had said that we're 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 kind of creating a turbo map in Mtron, and that it's that's more like fundamentally okay. We still for any any given tune that I'm going to do that's going to use the turbo modeling and use Airbleed, it is I am going to have to sort of have a set of tables that I drop in for different turbos. If it's a smaller 30R, or if it's a bigger 35R, or if it's a 40R. Right. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna have a different surge line. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to basically look at the turbo map myself and set where the surge line is to trigger the solenoid to operate. So no, it's not gonna be so simple. Like there's a drop down. Like I'm running a GTX 3584RS with a 101 AR housing. That would be yeah. cool. They yeah. could theoretically, they could theoretically do that, but um, it's not that that's above and beyond the scope of what they have in here. So I, okay. I, as the tuner will have to go in and manage some of that, but it's not going to be super difficult and it's not going to be like this whole, like spend several hours on each specific turbo. Once you have, once you have the framework set, it's just going to be small adjustments to account for each turbo. Does that make sense? Yeah, I got it. And that's okay. what you were doing already with a, a repertoire of these are all the builds that I have and I can take what I've learned from, you know, a thousand stage two cars and make life a lot easier the next time I touch a stage two car. Essentially, yeah. Once you once you kind of lay the framework, once you've done done one, the next one's easier and then the next one's right. easier. And then the, and then it just becomes like, you know, you drop it in and then you start to just it's less setup time and it's more it's easier just to go straight into the tuning. You jump straight into the tuning. Right, exactly. And it's not for, for those of you playing along at home, it's not copying and pasting. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Graham just starts from a known good configuration and then tunes it for the particular engine that he's yep. that he's talking just, about. The, the copy and paste is in the setup. The tuning, the tuning is where you are adjusting it if you're doing are adjusting it correctly for each car, each setup and so on right okay i've got one more question if you've got a second so yeah send it. do you need do you continue to need an anti-lag system with this air bleed system besides let's say boost on the line if you're out there driving do you need an anti-lag system between corner to corner i may be able to answer this then i want to try it and then you're going to back me up because um Long story short, anti-lag is based, most anti-lag and when we're talking about anti-lag in general, that's based on the exhaust side. So that's the concept of anti-lag is to maintain as much exhaust gas energy as you can. Now, if we're talking extremely low RPM, um, 
the turbo was never at the speed it was going to this was going to be valuable so what that's doing is you're off the gas and you're actually off the gas for a decent amount of time Anti-lag is basically blowing up fuel inside of your exhaust to keep your turbo spinning so the second you hit the gas it comes back on it's also why anti-lag is extraordinarily hard on valves and extraordinarily hard on turbos this won't be this will actually make your turbo more reliable and in a that track situation, anti-lag does borderline nothing because you're always you're always at a higher RPM and you're always basically at speed. This is kind of like maintaining turbo speed on the other side of it, the the fresh air side of it. Yeah. Now we could now we could use this. There are time attack cars over on the other side sure. of the world that that do use you know a rally style anti-lag approach, and and that would be basically where. When you lift the pedal for the corner, the throttle stays open, but the torque goes negative. And by that, I mean it does it does fuel cut, spark cut, ignition retard, and it maintains turbo speed because there's still explosions happening after the valve. But you 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 lose the torque, so you can go through the corner without dying. And then when you roll back on the pedal, the throttle's already open. It snaps the torque back in, and away you go. You know, if if we want to grab, you know, if, if we need a couple more seconds out there to catch up with Jackie Ding next year, we can use that. You know, it's don't it's say there. that around here, <laughs> but it comes, <laughs> but it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost going valve. So I'd recommend getting that Garrett sponsorship locked down first. Yeah, and then make sure that JJ is cool with some melted valves here and there, and we can do it. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I can only think of one corner. Oh, yeah. Honestly, and I can only think of one corner that would be like huge. Okay, that would be absolutely massive in that. And the track, we aren't even running it this next year. And that would be, uh, that would have been Heartland at that very last corner where you drop down into like the gut of second um, before you hit that, the front straight going towards start finish. Um, You know, we don't have a lot of like, I guess there are some situations where there are some fairly slow corners that instead of you having to drop a gear, you could leave it in like third instead of going to second. Um, but man, I, I is it at, at what point you got to ask how, how much is it really worth it? I don't know. Maybe a record. Uh, yeah. I, we'll see. I want to go sub one thirty real bad. So now the cool thing is the cool thing is we, you know, anti like doesn't have to be a on off switch. You can, yeah. you can dial, we can dial in a light, a light effect, you know, where we're not getting super aggressive with it necessarily. So we'll, you know, it's, it's things we can tinker around with, but yes, the focus to begin with to be on using anti-surge. I think that's going to be a, a big step forward for the car. <laughs> Dylan and IG spare engine. Got it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Bring, yep. Yeah, bring that. Yep. We need to, we need to get in on that Inconel exhaust valve and, uh, uh, Inconel. Um, well, I actually, I guess the, the new Garrett's and whatever, whatever they're using for their exhaust, their turbine wheel. Supposedly puts up with anti lag fairly well. Um, yep. That's actually one thing that you know we're kind of going off topic. That the IHI turbos, um, like the VF turbos, um, they've got really beefy bearings, and and supposedly put up with with um, like rally style anti lag fairly well. They're gonna you're gonna go through them. Don't get me wrong, but like you'll make the event or two before you've got to replace it, which is uh, kind of. I always thought that was interesting that they that those those turbos like 
they're kind of inefficient everywhere. VFs just generally are kind of an inefficient turbo, at least Subaru based VFs. But they they can eat anti lag. <laughs> well, they work well for they work well for that rally purpose. <laughs> Spaz valves or records doesn't have the same ring to it. It just really doesn't. <laughs> the Fair records or rods sounds way better. Question from the um, chat a while back: Is it um, can it be street legal using an Eptron? Okay, no. that's I'm I'm going to go into this real quick. Here's the reality of this, guys. Um, anytime you touch something that is controlled by the EPA, you're uh you're playing with fire. Okay, the if you're to put an Emtron inside of your car you are no longer emissions legal. And the EPA is a federal organization, okay? That's all 50 states. You're not illegal in just California. If they don't check your car, you are still technically illegal, okay? Just need to make sure that you guys do understand what we're talking about is race car stuff, okay? This is race car things. And it, like Sean just said in the chat, EPA don't mess, and they, they do not mess around. And this is why if you come into somebody like Graham and this conversation is about this is this is high level race car crap. I try not to do a ton of these, but man, this is just way too exciting to not do it. And it's a lot of fun to talk about. But um, it's if you go to somebody like Graham and you go, hey, I want to do all this crazy stuff. I'm going to run an Mtron. Here's my street car. I'm doing this for roll racing down the highway. Graham's going to tell you no, and you can't be mad at that. <laughs> and I don't blame him for that. So um, take without what you may. Um, this is for race cars. So did that pretty much answer that? Did I cover that for you, Graham? So you don't have to, you don't have to get your butt in a, your yeah, panties exactly. in a bunch. I mean, okay. if you, if you, you take the ECU, mm -hmm. you take a stock ECU out of your car, you've made your car not legal for the road, period, yeah. in all 50 states. Now, yeah, there, there, there's there, no there, such you, thing you as an aftermarket. You What's can up? actually no no this is this is kind of crazy but in in a lot of states even crazy enough in California I have some guys with though I have some guys in California with actual exemptions for their cars even That's California really? will grant yeah. exceptions like those eight one eight cars oh because it it's like a kit car and there's like not um, many of them like, like... there's some stuff like that Illinois actually has show and display. There are actually some legal avenues yeah. to be able to take the ECU out of your car and be, you know, basically you don't have to do emissions with your car. It's it's difficult. You're not going to get it on your brand new Subaru that you daily drive. That's not going to happen. But yeah. if you can if you if you go through the right legal process and you indicate that your car is basically not used as a regular road going car essentially in some states, you can do that. And we, ha we have customers that have gone through those those avenues. Otherwise, yeah. the majority of what we're dealing with is cars like yours. It's people that take their car to the track, and that's it. They bring their car on a trailer for tuning. They yep. trailer their car to the track for racing it. They trailer the car to the airport for the half mile. They're not they're not driving these cars every day on an Mtron. That's not that's not its intention. That's not something that we, we that you can do and that we can do for you. You know, now, you're doing this as a race car. What I am gonna say though, and you take this any way you want. I really, really like that my car can drive around the pits extremely nice. It starts nice. It drives nice. It's nice and smooth. It tells yeah. me if anything's wrong with it. What'll be, I can, what'll be really I cool is, you know, when you're doing this. Station in the pits and put whatever fuel I need in it because it, 
you know, flex fuel works correctly natively in it. You know, it's really nice in the pits that all of this stuff just works really well. In you know, pit. when you're, when you're doing those roller shots out on the track. Yeah. You can turn on cruise control with Mtron and have cruise control and just sit yeah. back oh and there you go. Because when, if you're when, on the track, you know, and you, those rolling shots, your foot will get tired. Okay. Yep. So, so it's, these are good things to know. It's nice. To, you know, it, it's, it's good to know, you know, why throw everything away if you don't have to, if you can have creature comforts, why wouldn't you want them? It's just absurd. It's crazy. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> okay. Um, so back to um, some of the uh, other goodies. There's probably more to this that I'm not seeing. Is there anything else that you're like really excited about with this? Other well, than okay. our wacky boost control concepts that we're talking about. Well, yeah. So the other big thing that we're going to do on your car that I'm I'm starting to do more on other cars, including our own, is is what they call the throttle mass flow air calculation. So most people are familiar with the two primary forms of um, airflow calculation, one being a mass airflow sensor, which all Subarus have that sits in the intake after the air filter and is basically a, a, a wire that gets heated and cooled down by the air going past it. And the amount it gets cooled down calculates to a volt or goes to a voltage, which goes to a grams of air coming past it. So in other words, how much, however much air is moving past it cools down the wire more and tells it there's more air there. That's mass airflow. That's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty accurate way to do things, but has limitations that with higher horsepower and also has issues with um, turbulence in front of a turbo, things like that. So mass airflow or boost leaks. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. Boost leaks are, you know, it, the air comes in, but doesn't go in the engine. So mass airflow can be really great on a simple car. And that's why Subaru and a lot of manufacturers use it. The other primary way to calculate airflow is speed density, which is using a calculation that involves the temperature of the air, the pressure of the air, the size of the cylinder that you're filling, and some other variables, the ideal gas law, and calculates that the amount of air going in the engine based on those variables instead that is more immune to you know things that might affect a math sensor and basically gives you you know infinite amounts of airflow calculation beyond the voltage limits of a given math sensor in a tube so it's it's really nice the problem with speed density is that you know you can use a throttle component to kind of trim your efficiency for part throttle but it's not it's not the most accurate way of calculating airflow. So enter a third type, which Mtron is one of the few ECUs to actually have a model for, which is called throttle mass flow setup. And basically the calculation here is sort of speed density in one way, but and it, it blends over to speed density at full throttle because when you're at full throttle, this model no longer works. But basically the way this model works is you have pressure in front of the throttle plate, you have pressure after it, you have the temperature component, and then you have the angle of the throttle, and you have a calculation of the basically the amount of area when the throttle is at part throttle positions. And using all this math, they can really accurately calculate exactly how much air is passing past the throttle at part throttle. So all those areas on the track you feel when you're at weird throttle positions moving on and off, and the boost pressure is doing different things, and the car feels kind of kind of gross and we can't get it 
perfect because we're we only have speed density. This I can tell you the exact problem. corner that I feel that this problem. at. You and, you, you feel know, this it, all the time at yep. Lime Rock because exactly. you're so you're at goofy partial throttle, especially turn turn two at Lime Rock, which is the only left hander. Um, it, you're, you're in this goofy part throttle situation. You're doing what they call maintenance throttle as a yep. driver. This is what that would be called as maintenance throttle. And in a turbo car, maintenance throttle is a nightmare. And for, what for, you're for saying should take care of that. Yep. It's, it's a problem for two reasons. One compressor surge and two airflow calculation. We're going to solve those two big things with Mtron and it's going to make you're, it's going to make things night and day different for you in part throttle conditions. And that's going to translate to more consistency and more time. That's time. That's time. Yep. That's that literally is just time. Like it, that to me, I, I truly believe that'd be like adding 150 horsepower to the car. Yep. That's that literally is going to be that amount of difference in time. It's going to so, significantly change how the car feels when you drive it. It's going to not I, feel like a turbo car. I'm so stoked. So one of the things so, we are are doing, and a, a lot of people don't even realize this too, is Boogie is still on a cable throttle. Okay, it literally it's it is. It, uh, people have no idea how basic this damn car is. There is literally a, a, essentially a damn string that goes from my throttle pedal to the throttle body and just opens it up. So. I, I mean, I can't, I, I've been so hard fighting this for so many years, but you have, you've proven it. Um, and, and time and time again, um, my biggest problem with going to a drive-by-wire throttle is I, I, if you drive most Cobb-based drive-by-wire setups, they feel there is a, a, a lag between what your foot is doing and what the engine is doing. And a, a drive-by cable doesn't feel like that, but then you've, You've put the first one I ever felt. You put a Motec in uh, Filippo's car. It was a like a a twenty GX TR, you know, street Dom, car Dom basically. 1.5. Dom one point five. Dom one point five. Either way, it was like a low four hundred horsepower, you know, whatever, and went from a really nice Cobb tune to this this Motec, and it was immediate. And it, so what we found out is the stock ECU has some sort of like filtering. filtering yeah and in the second that it went away <laughs> that felt so good and, and so i'm i'm i i fought it for years but we are going to drive by wire what i want you to talk about now is some of the advantages of going to drive by wire versus drive by cable and some of the cool stuff that we might be able to do with it from there too from a reliability standpoint and performance Sure. Yeah. So drive-by wire is really awesome when you get it all set up correctly. It you can you can have much more dynamic throttle mapping. So you you know it's not just a whatever you push with your foot is whatever the throttle plate's going to be at. You can do situations where you know the the first seventy percent of the pedal travel can get you full throttle, and the last thirty percent will command different amounts of boost or torque, and. To that same degree, you can also, at this point, take advantage of Mtron's torque model and basically drive your torque request off of your throttle, much like an OEM, much like modern OEM vehicles work. So then you can actually dial in torque more accurately using your foot. And throttle isn't just a component of your foot anymore. It's a component of the torque model. 
And that just makes everything much more accurate. Also allows us to, you know, do softer cuts, do, do engine safeties where we, we this pull is, the throttle down. This is where I wanted you to kind of get into. So there's a mechanical safety side of this. Yep. Not so much like the ECU controlling stuff, um, but there is a mechanical side of this that like if we're doing things like flat foot shifting, auto blip, uh, auto blip downshifts, things like that, this is going to start coming in very handy. Yep. Um, auto blip is something that I've been fighting for years because I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty damn proud of how good I am at heel toe and heel I'm solid. Three. Um. But <laughs> I, I'm going to what I, I would really like to be able to do is have a solid foot on the brake um, heel towing. And I think yep. that's going to net time. And it's also I've been getting used to it in the BRZ training my brain to do it. A lot of it's just force of habit didn't allow me to not kick my heel over and blip the throttle. Um, yep. I, that's that's going to be easier on the transmission. And that's yeah, less so, synchros I'm destroying, less, you know, it's, it's less time that Dylan's got to spend repairing this car between events. Yep. So that's, that's a new thing that just came out in the latest firmware I'm super excited about. And, and that is the, that is the downshift rev match model. And instead of just doing it, some, some other ECUs, like I have this working on link in, in the GC that we have, and it's pretty good, but it basically just, you, all you do is you sort of just ask for X throttle opening at Y time. It's not very dynamic. What's super cool about the Mtron is they've leveraged the whole torque model and they've also calculated output shaft speed using your gear ratios and your um, input shaft speed, essentially. And they, they're not necessarily, they're, they're actually calculating the perfect RPM to rev to and hold at. So it is a complete like OEM Uh-oh. feel dynamic downshift rev happened? match model where it's at the right RPM at the right time every time. I heard an uh-oh from doing. Oh, sorry about that. I just had an issue with my, my headset and it just lost its mind. Okay, I'm back. We're good. I am so sorry. That's did you okay. did you catch everything about the rev match? Because that was... I, I, I You've got to go back over it again. I want to hear it. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. I'll start over from the top. So, yep. so other other ECUs do have a rev match concept, but generally it's just based on you're asking for X amount of throttle opening at Y amount of time. You're just you're just asking it to go to this for so many milliseconds, and it kind of gets you in the ballpark. It's better than nothing. Mtron did the Mtron thing and used torque modeling and used um, output shaft calculation. and your gear ratios to essentially figure out the perfect RPM to be at, at any given time you need to downshift. And it uses the, uses the torque model to rev it right to that RPM, hold it there for you where you need it and let you make the downshift cleanly. So it's, it's an an OEM feeling dynamic model, not just That is going to feel so nice. Yep. And, and that's honestly, that's one of my biggest complaints about the BRZ is it, it, it doesn't work like that. And if you're not at the exact RPM it needs to be at, that blip amount sometimes doesn't match up and it, it doesn't feel great. Yep. Um, now, I will say there is a caveat to this. There There is a limitation in the fact that we don't have a gear position sensor output. So the Mtron doesn't have any way to know when you have made it into the next gear. When Now... Hmm. I don't know if you, you haven't driven a GR Corolla yet, have you? And don't you no. yell because I didn't let you drive mine. You but when you, drive, 
when you drive one of those and you try the rev match downshift, it's going to blow your mind because yeah. you're going to realize you're going to realize that no matter how fast or how slow you downshift, the rev match is perfect. And you're like, how are they doing that? And the answer is there's an output on the transmission of the gear position. So it knows when you've clicked into the next gear and it stops rev matching. Yeah. So exactly how do we, how, how do we get that on a Subaru? Sequential gearbox. Yeah, there's there's got to oh, be a way. I don't way. think there's. I could now maybe somebody maybe somebody in here knows of a way to add. What, a gear what, what if we put sensor. a strain gauge on a strain gauge? is going to know what direction I'm pulling, right? Or does it that only help. know? That doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't know when the next gear has been engaged inside the transmission. Okay, that's fair. So that's that's the trick. It, the, it it's it's gear position. It's it's based on it's based on a. It, it should be yeah. Output shaft speed of the transmission, I think is what they're looking at. And, and I could be wrong on that. I, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't remember. But basically, if you put a sequential gearbox in a Subaru, um, say X-Shift or whatever, it has a gear position sensor. It has that data coming back so it knows when to finish upshifts and downshifts electronically. So we don't um, we don't have that piece of data. But we, we have everything else. We have the estimates. We It still revs it to the correct RPM. And as long as you make the downshift in a reasonable amount of time, you're going to be impressed with how good this feels on Mtron. It's as good as it can be without having that piece of data. Yeah. Well, I, I'm that. That's one of the things I'm really stoked for because I know there's going to be time, and I. It, that's if. What this translates in is better braking, and if there's one weak point on Boogie, and and even with with as fantastic as EBC's been, and my new brakes that I've been running for the past couple of years, and you know, the new tires that I'm on and things boogie is still in the brake department is still weak. Um, and, and I being able to just have a solid being solidly on the pedal, um, and not having to worry about blipping the, 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 the gas for a proper downshift and that being smoother, there's going to be more grip all the way through. Um, you know, uh, if I can upset the car less, um, there's, there's even things I can find more time because I am upsetting the car less. I don't have to set the car up to be so stable. I can set it up to be a little more unstable just based on, on turning the car and, and find more speed that way. So that's, uh, there's some exciting stuff there. Cause a lot of this, it seems like it's only this one piece, but no matter which way you look at it, um, a, a car is a system. Okay, and if you change one piece of the system, it bleeds into a bunch of other things. And the end result with a time attack car is a lap time. So if I can, if if when we're downshifting, um, I I'm getting cleaner downshifts. So be and not having to heel toe. Without having a heel toe, I can keep my foot directly on the the brake pedal. Being able to keep my foot directly on the brake pedal and my downshifts are going to be cleaner that's going to basically mean I have more grip in the tires. So that should help turn in and mid corner quite a bit. And in theory, I should be able to get on the gas earlier, which is also going to be helped by the fact that now we're going to be, we're going to have more boosts leaving corners. Um, we don't need more power. What we're trying to do is, is use what we have more effectively. And I think, I think this is going to be the answer. Well, I'm happy you mentioned grip because that gives me a good opportunity to talk about the next cool thing that we're probably going to try on your car. Okay. Now, given the fact that we, we we're Subarus with all wheel drive and, and DCCD, we don't necessarily deal with a ton of traction issues. 
but for my for the FT86 guys and the GR86 guys on Mtron eventually, this is super huge for them, and that's traction control. Yeah. So, so this is super, traction control set up a lot like how Ferris is using theirs. So one of the super what here's one of the really neat things that they're that they have, and I'm gonna explain, is basically called G speed traction control. Now that's not GPS. So here's the biggest challenge with what do you think the biggest challenge is with trying to figure out traction control on an all-wheel drive car? Reference to the ground. Exactly. You've got you're you're turning all four wheels. You don't have driven and undriven like a rear wheel drive car to compare uh, against. Yeah. So it's going to so, be really hard to figure out if you're spinning the wheels. Exactly. The only, so yeah, that would be tough. You, you have to have some other reference. Now, GPS speed is one way to do it, but it's it's not that fast. At, it's going to be best, wonky. At best, at best, twenty hertz. You know. Yeah. So Mtron has come up with this concept called G speed, or basically G force speed. They're using the internal accelerometer. And they're basically, it's really complex. And I've, I've read over it many times and I'm still probably not going to give a perfect explanation of how it exactly works. Um, but long story short is when the car's moving under certain conditions that are, that are considered to be stable, you essentially, you essentially keep resyncing. It keeps resyncing itself, the momentum to the car, to the speed of the car. And it develops a linear relationship between what the accelerometer is seeing and how the car is accelerating or moving. Okay. And then when you, when your vehicle speed changes, when you we're, we're sorry, when your wheel speeds or your change and they move away from that linear line of the expected acceleration from the accelerometer. In other words, when it feels, it feels that lag, like, you know, best way I can describe this is when you, well, if you're accelerating, if you're, you if you're spinning, you're not going to have that forward, that forward thrust exactly. Like so you it's normally like, would, yeah, exactly. So it, you you stop being pushed back in the seat is the best way yeah. I can describe it. When you start yeah. spinning, you stop being pushed back in the seat. The accelerometer essentially measures that, sees that, and knows that you're spinning, takes corrective action to reduce torque and get those lines back together seamlessly. So, that's, so it's it, like drag. You know what that's. Well, it is and it isn't. You know what this actually sounds like? This sounds like a very fancy version of how the Spider DCCD controller works. Because that, that essentially just uses a small G meter and it figures out how much lock you need in the center diff. This is taking this one step further. I almost wonder if we could use an output to DCCD to make it control DCCD using this. Well, I said yeah. it. <laughs> we are what one thing that we can do is we certainly can send some we, we can use mtron to control the lockup to some degree leaning on the dccd pro yeah to still do the majority of it yeah well, that's a whole other conversation that we can we can talk about sure. later but no i'm just I'm, long, this long is the short, fun stuff that you can yeah. do with some of these crazy things is yeah. like if you you ha you can come up with some bad idea to, to say like i want this and this and turbo speed to somehow play into a trash control model. You can build that. That's, that's just fun things you can do with standalones and especially high end standalones like this. Exactly. So if we get to the point where we're turning up the power enough that you're struggling for traction, this, this G speed traction control is something that we can leverage. So you can just put your foot down and the ECU will sort it out and give you what you can have. Oh God. 
Oh my gosh. Yep. So uh what I want you to hear, Dylan, if uh is we need three engines. <laughs> At least. It's, we need to get just going to the need, moon, I think, baby. I think the, uh, I think the IEG semi needs to make a comeback. I didn't say oh, it. Yeah. But wanna, Dylan, oh, Dylan, get your, hey, Dylan, get your CDL now. I wish I could show you what I saw today. We got some really cool stuff going. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm sure we'll have some social media posting about it. Um, it is, it's really cool. So we've got some really neat stuff coming. Um, <laughs> Dylan already updated the budget. <laughs> right? That's baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what's really crazy is, and this is, I, I, a lot of this stuff is crazy advanced. And I got to be real, your typical street car isn't going to use a lot of this. But the crazier we get with some of this stuff, some of it will actually trickle down. What we learn from a lot of this, the harder we, it, it, it may not trickle down the way you think it will, but the harder, say, we push this engine because we now have the ability to use the traction and use the power, you know, it, it, it's we're going to be able to make better engines. You know, we're going to be able to, there's, there's so much we can learn about this and different uh, strategies for boost control. What is possible on particular size turbos? All sorts of things. Um, you know, this seems really wacky, but it does, there is an effect that it does come down to your, your streetcar. This is why we push limits like this. So, and you learn new things, and I, let's be real, it just keeps it interesting. But this is, I, I just, I think it's wild that what essentially is one of the most basic time attack cars in Street Modified um, as far as like complexity, you know, we're talking plywood splitter guy here. Um, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> it's ugh, man, it's it's wild. We've come a long way, Graham. We've we have we've, we've come somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it, I mean, keep selling me. I mean, you pretty much got me sold at this point, but keep selling okay. me. Okay. So we've we've hit the we've hit the turbo modeling anti surge. We've talked about the throttle mass flow. Yep. Um, so uh, let's okay. Let's talk about the e gate real quick. And that's okay. That's yeah, kind of, we haven't even trickled into that yet. That's a, that's a two part thing. And yep. First of all, I want to be clear that Mtron is not the only ECU that can control an e gate. That's not special to Mtron. What it's Mtron stuff we're doing with Boogie this year? What Mtron? What Mtron recently added to their ECU that's pretty cool is, is that we're going to have on both our cars is we can control the electronic wastegate, get this over CAN bus. That's crazy. That's are you crazy. ready? Are you ready for that? So that's, we can, that's not even going to take an input then. Nope. Exactly. So all it is, is going to be, a, it's just going to be on the CAN bus and it's going to leverage the, a, a turbo smart E gate and it's going to leverage the turbo smart. Can you do me box. a favor? Yes. I want you to explain CAN bus real quick. Okay, because there's CAN bus is is a kind of a, a neat technology that we, we all hate. Bus. We did CAN bus at the beginning. We kind of did, but you really basically it's okay. it's a it's a, a protocol that um you know everything can talk on because like my 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 gauge cluster runs on CAN bus you know and it was it was literally yep. just two wires and the thing lit up it's two wires yeah, exactly. of power and the thing so lit right bus, up. CAN bus is a communication network that that OEM vehicles use to communicate amongst modules just using two wires and transmitting tons of data. It's basically like having them on a network, you know, instead of just a bunch of wires that talk back and forth. The, the network allows all these things to communicate seamlessly and fast. And yep. motorsports ECUs have, are leveraging that now too. So Mtron, you know, hooked up to an Mtron, you have CAN bus dash. 
you have CAN bus keypad for inputs. You yep. have, you know, the OEM CAN bus communications to keep all the OEM modules happy. You might have CAN bus to your ABS. You might have CAN bus to a um, high pressure fuel injector and pump controller, like on the GR86. It's, it's like USB for your damn car. Like literally exactly. you it's plug like, it in and it just works. It's like plugging everything into a USB hub. Yes. And and that's how we can control the E-gate on these cars too. We're going to have the, the turbo smart black box controller is going to do all of the control and it's going to provide all the power and take in all the information and it's going to communicate the gate position, the gate temperature, and also take the input from the ECU of how much gate opening you want all over CAN bus. So it's just, so it, I didn't realize that. So that, that electronic gate that actually has a temp sensor in it too. So it can, it can relay temp sensor information. Exactly. So if it's getting too hot, it, 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 cool. it gets too hot, it'll shut down. But yes, you'll, you'll know the temperature of your gate too. Yes. So, oh man, we, I got to get this mapped out of everything that we're going to need. Cause I got to get this to Mtron fairly soon. I'm literally over here holding my head going, I have way too much shit, but the fact that that can run over CAN bus is phenomenal. Cause that's that, just that doesn't change less... anything on Mtron. On no, Mtron's which side. is that's awesome. Just... That's just getting the TurboSmart E-Gate and the TurboSmart E-Gate controller. Yes. Most standalones, with that stated, most standalones do support CAN bus um, and, and their, their CAN system. Like my, my Haltech, it ran, you know, it, that's most sports CAN. And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And if it, I wasn't clear, if I wasn't clear, CAN bus is not some special thing that only Mtron does. I didn't mean to say that at all. If I, no, if I, and you, you, you clarified no, that. I just want to make yeah. sure that, like, what there's – Lots of I stuff out there that, that it does work. M Mtron, Mtron has some of the nicer end CAN bus customization. You can, in some ECUs, and I, I don't have this all in front of me, so I don't want to misspeak or anything, but I, I know with some ECUs, it can be challenging to get and send things on the CAN uh, easily and conveniently. I will say that with Mtron, it is it is really well built out and you can you can send or get whatever you want. Like I have that AEM four channel AFR box on my car. I'm getting all the AFR information over CAN bus. That's so cool. if, That's if, if something cool. talks over CAN, it's very, it's, it's, I found it really easy to use Mtron to listen to it. In other words. Yep. Not so what James brought up, he that. wants to, I, I think he, he caught this. So Adam was saying it's, it's got a built in EGT and essentially, yes, it does. But with that stated, James is right. That is not absolutely not a replacement for uh, oh. individual cylinder EGT. Because no, that's going to take an well, average off of all four, and it's not even in a well, technically a great position for it. Well, hang on. It's not even that. It's not like it has a little baby EGT probe in the exhaust. It's not measuring exhaust temperature. It's It's got a temperature sensor inside the electronics area of the... To make gate. sure you're not melting your exactly. e -gate. Making sure yeah. there's not too much temperature and heat bleeding into the electronic components, because yeah. you, the last thing you want is an e-gate to fail and get stuck closed, and you're sending rods out. Yep. So yes, yeah, so there. So that's why the temperature. It's the temperature of the of of inside <laughs> of the wastegate control, a not Adam the temperature just, of the exhaust. Adam just put it. It's really not uh, EGT. It's more of an anti-Dewey system, which is probably true. Basically, <laughs> yes. And and, yeah. and do keep in mind, you do have to run coolant through these e gates. Oh, do you really? Okay. Yeah, well, it's not optional. All right. Well. So that's that's for Dylan, Dylan to worry about. Yep, that's that's a Dylan problem. Okay. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. All right. Fuck. Okay. Um, this is going to be super cool. Does <laughs> Dude's so e stoked. Does the E-Gate replace the boost control solenoid? Yes. 
It, you, you, you no longer need a boost control solenoid. You no longer need a boost reference. Nothing's nothing's controlled by boost pressure anymore with your boost. It's literally controlled by an electronic valve. Yeah, that's it, that's cool because there's you know I dude I used to have nightmares with all of those lines running all over the place. Um, yep. and and it, it it's going to clean up some of that area of the engine bay, and it's just less stuff we got to worry about. I mean, I think I think Dylan did a great job of cleaning that up over there this year, but um, it's going to be real. One of the reasons we went to a, a a single scroll turbo is so we didn't have to deal with that. The amount for two wastegates was nuts, and you know, going to a single cool scroll thing. that cleaned that up. But now we're going to get rid of most of it. The other nice thing with the E gate is you can go from five psi to fifty five psi. And there's no wastegate spring to change. So it's much yep. more dynamic. We don't have yep. to start with a pretty stiff spring to reach high boost pressures. We you can just run what very it is. Low, we can run very low boost pressures at low throttle openings. So when you you know when we're when we're not dealing with anti surge when we're when we're outside of that window and we just want we want less boost pressure period sustained the e gate can do it a lot easier. Yep. Yeah. So no, that's nice. that's super yeah. sick. That'll be really nice, um, especially considering. You, your minimum boost doesn't have to be like, you know, 18, 19 PSI. If we're on break-in, we can have five. You know what I mean? And then yep. if we want 40 PSI for whatever whatever reason, you just tell it to do it. You know, it, it, it there's there's no springs, none of that bullshit. It either just works or it doesn't. I'm I'm a big fan of digital. <laughs> yeah. Now James James asked a good question. Does does the E-gate have a default fail safe or kind of what happens if things shit the bed, let's say? Yeah. So if let's e-gates e-gates do come do come with some risk. I'm just going to say it right now. E-gates come mm-hmm. with some risk. You are it, it, you could make the argument that a pneumatic gate keeps it a lot simpler and less chance of things going wrong because even if a let's say a boost control line comes off of a of, of a regular wastegate, when your when your exhaust back pressure gets high enough, it'll open the gate. You won't go to necessarily infinite boost. Now you still might hit a lot more boost than your engine can handle, but you've got more likelihood of survival. If, if let's say you melt, you melt the wires to your E-gate control at exactly the wrong time and it's jammed all the way shut, spooling up, and you keep going, yes, you will reach some pretty high boost. Now, you, that's when your boost cut kicks in, your throttle closure kicks in, your torque management kicks in, and should take care of that before it becomes a problem. If you don't yeah. With that stuff in place, you might end up like that Honda that I think the whole top half of his engine came off on the line because his E-gate stuck shut. Do you remember that? Yeah. So, so like, that's one of the reasons, now we're going back into higher engine management. This is but, one of the reasons you don't might not want to mess around with some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but something but, basic but or from, just a basic tune. Aside from something like that happening where it gets stuck shut and for some reason you don't have the rest of your safeties in place correctly to deal with that. Um. It could it could be a problem potentially. Now, if there's a problem with temperature, it fails open. If there's a problem with position or communications, it will fail open. It's not gonna it's not gonna leave you in a position where you're screwed necessarily. And again, even if something does, if 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 all else fails, your engine protection strategies should kick in and take care of the problem. No, you know, before it becomes a bigger problem. So yes, e gates do carry some risk, but e gates with good engine management it's pretty well mitigated risk in my opinion. All right. Next. You got anything else? <laughs> You've sold me, but is there anything like new and exciting about this thing that's from this step up 
That has well, got you the in. Only other, the only other thing before we jump into questions that I'll say was when, yep. when I told you in the beginning, what's what's one of the other big selling points? And that is the, the data logging throughput. We can yes. log some significant amounts of data at some significant data rates that make it really helpful for seeing little instances of like, let's just say on the knock sensor, we have a really good ability to look for engine knock on the Mtron that's not so strong on other on other ECUs. If yeah. it's same thing for like certain pressures, certain other behaviors and the map sensor, RPM, crank signal, all these things, even, even the way that the Mtron monitors the crank position is really good. It's, I, I wish I had the details on the hardware to compare. I don't really have all those and, and they didn't really want to give that to me, but bottom yeah. line, Mtron, Mtron essentially, um, sees every tooth on the crank sensor, whereas some other ECUs, and again, I'm not going to speak specifics because I don't know the specifics, but some other ECUs have to basically do some dividing to sort of work it out, if that yeah, makes don't sense. They, it's basically doing some interpolation. It's um, sort of doing some interpolation because they're not processing fast enough to actually keep track of the crank, individual crank teeth, okay? Yes. And I learned this recently because when I was when I was working with that 16 STI, I was having some funny behaviors with his car and another car where it would it would lose track of the RPM. And I talked yeah. to my my guy over at Mtron and I, I showed him everything I was doing and I'm like, what's going on here? And he goes, Oh, you, you have your you have your trigger voltages way high. He goes, Where did you get those values? I'm like, Well, these are what I've used on other ECUs. He goes, and he, he laughs and he goes, Well, those are other ECUs. You don't need <laughs> you don't need to be that high a voltage. And I'm like, oh, yeah. really? Why is that? And basically, it came down to the fact that the Mtron actually sees what's going on the whole time, whereas yeah. other ECUs, you know, you sort of have to raise that threshold essentially because it's easy for it's easy for the noise to happen in between, if you will. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, that makes sense. Why I've noticed that the graph when I look at a dyno graph on an Mtron, I'm like, why is this seems so much smoother, even at the same same settings I would use on anything else? Why is it so yep. much smoother? And he said, it's because we're keeping track of the engine position more accurately. That's really cool. And that's, that's one of those cool. things that you, the it, data, um, you know, people have said, you know, trash in, trash out, I guess is a good way of putting it when you're trying to make. And I'm not trying to say that these other ECUs are trash. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But the 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 less accurate your data is, the less accurate your your decision making and outcome of what you're changing is going to be yep exactly so that's it's all uh, about being 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 as accurate as you can for what you can afford you know yep. we can't afford to put bosch motorsports ecus in these cars we just can't no but, but and that's, you know, so like mtron is not is not and let me let me make sure people understand this mtron is is in most like super high end motorsports, we're talking like IMSA, IndyCar, Formula One, things like that. Um, they would look at IMSA the way some of us, like how you and I were kind of, uh, or they would look at, at Mtron the same way you and I were looking at that thing that was in the uh, <laughs> the the uh, those race cars. The what the hell are those things? Um, the Sakers. Yep. You exactly. know what I mean? Like yep. they they're 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 just different levels of this and That's and wild. i'm not gonna lie this is getting into high-end grassroots you know and and low-end like more of the well i don't know prosumer is that a good term 
Like yeah. I, don't, I don't know what you would you what what term you would use for this, but uh, essentially the the feeling I've gotten is that a lot of this modeling that they've done and a lot of this control they've done actually comes after looking at how Bosch OEM ECUs control cars. So like the ECU that you find in my RS3 in um, a Porsche 911 Turbo, they have this throttle math flow. They have pressure sensors before the throttle, after the throttle. They have all these extra sensors that we're going to put on our cars. And that's why those cars feel so amazing no matter what you do with the pedal. You can be a complete yeah. idiot with the pedal and the fueling is always within 5 or 10% correction. And it blew my mind. I'm like, how are they doing this? This can't be speed density. They don't have map sensors. How are they doing this? And the answer is they're doing the calculations the same way Mtron is. That's how Bosch yeah. does it on the real high-end yep. $300,000 cars that you can buy from Porsche. They well, do it using these models. $300,000 cars and, you know... You know, ten million dollar race cars are probably doing. I bet you Formula One uses something very similar, because yeah. things like mid throttle, you know, it really, really matters in Formula One. You know what I mean, or IMSA or something like that, where you have to calculate things like that, and you know, it it's instability like that will put your car into the wall. So, um, I think we need to open it up to some questions. Okay, um, so. It, we got a lot of new people in here, and this is fantastic. And I, I want to let you guys know, I, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys showing up. Um, you have a couple of ways to ask questions. You can either ask it in the chat, or you can raise your hand. Okay, um, there's there's you you can ask to speak on stage, which is raising your hand. I'd be more than happy to bring you up here. You can ask your question. We'll answer it to the best of our ability. Um, and this is pretty much, uh, open table time. So feel free if you got anything you want to ask, uh, I kind of like to keep it on topic. Um, but you know, we can venture a little bit. I'm down to clown. Um, and yep, this is your time. I think there are a couple of questions a little further back that we may have not gotten to. I'm kind of digging. Um, but this is, we're, we're wide open here. So. Logan, I, I really appreciate you guys, by the way. Um, super appreciate all these new new guys. And we've been trying to do this every week. So listen to some of our older content too. We got some good stuff. Not all of it gets quite this uh off the deep end. A lot of it is just basic Subaru content, which is a lot of fun. Um, some of it's just hanging out. Um, you know, but we we love having you guys. Um dual ECUs have entered the chat. Uh I won't discuss that more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Adam, can you run individual cylinder EGTs on this ECU? Yep, easily. Yeah. Yep. And most I mean, ECUs I'm running that on that. my Haltech. So yeah, yeah, that's that's not something that's special. No, pretty much any 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 aftermarket ECU can do that, which is cool. Yep. And then uh even AEM way back in the day, they had separate units that you could plug in, even in some of their more basic ECUs that you could do that. But I tell you what, it's worth it. Um uh yeah, brother, you could do that with a cob back in the day. There's actually some uh some things you can. It, it's really a. I'm gonna kind of venture into this while we're waiting for some more questions to build up. One of the reasons we're starting to see a, a, a resurgence of a lot of standalone talk these days isn't really due to the EPA. It's more due to the fact that cob was so good for so long. It was very hard to justify making that jump. A lot of us. I mean, you could make a thousand wheel on a cob. You know, you could your your street cars were ridiculous on a cob, and a lot of track cars were great on a cob. And like our basic ECU options, because our our 
stock ECUs were really good. We were able to do so much stuff with these and it has gotten a bit more limited with what you can mess around with the cob that it started to affect the motorsport side of stuff. That's when we started looking at more standalones. There is some really cool stuff in development coming from that because Cobb kind of doesn't have a stranglehold on the entire market now. So we're starting to see some really new and interesting things. Link, uh, I talked about it a few weeks ago, has got a plug and play ECU coming for the GR86 um, that literally just drops in, which is super cool. The other thing that I thought was really neat, Mtron actually is talking about doing an 08 and newer plug and play. U.S. domestic market plug and play. That's 08 all the way to... Uh, 21 STI plug and play drops in use your stock wiring harness. Um, that's been quote unquote green lit. I have no idea when that's coming out, but you're hearing it first here. Um, which is super cool. Like how awesome is that? And we're starting to see more of this stuff now because there isn't such a stranglehold. A lot of this stuff existed in other markets though. Didn't exist here because in other markets, Cobb didn't really have the full lockdown on everything. And our ECUs do have some slight differences. It's pretty cool. We got some really neat stuff coming. Adam's over there crying in BRZ. There's no reason to cry in BRZ because I honestly, I think some absolutely fantastic stuff is coming down the line, especially for the FA guys. Because the 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 jump from BRZ to, uh, to say, uh, 15 plus WRX isn't as big as you would think when you're coming from a... Uh, you know, from a standalone ECU side of this, it's some wiring and some, some, you know, approach, but it's, it's not as far off as you think. Um, controlling the direct injection, working with a CAN system is all really similar. So uh, that, there's some really, really exciting stuff coming in the very near future for a lot of these guys that is going to open up a whole new thing for your, your track car that you want to make sure drives really nice in the pits. Um, Hold on, what do we got? Do you got anything you want to add on that while I'm digging up new stuff? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I think you got All it. All right. Uh, Chris, when it comes to safety setups for Mtron, what would you recommend from easier to implement to more difficult? I think this is just with all standalones in, in general. Yeah. I mean, a lot so, of these. What I'll, what I'll, here, here's how I usually do things. So standard, if you're going to move to an Mtron, I always, I always sell at least... I mean, let's, let's assuming you may already have a fuel pressure sensor. Let's say that you're, let's say you had a, an existing Cobb Flex fuel kit and you're on your car and you're, you're ready to take your car to the track and you want to go to Mtron. We would utilize the existing fuel pressure input and then we would have a, a new connection for your flex fuel sensor direct to the ECU. Additionally, I always say to add oil temperature, oil pressure, and coolant pressure as bare minimums. Those are all things that are easy to plumb in, easy to set up, and relatively low cost that are good pieces of information to use for safeties. If you want to go to the next level, if you're, if you're trying to be very competitive or really, really high horsepower stuff where per cylinder becomes extremely important more so than it already is, then four channel EGT is another piece that I always recommend adding on from there. Then if you're trying to go to the level like your car is, then we start talking about the turbo dynamics pieces and adding those types of sensors. The other thing I'm, I'm doing more now is I'm making it more, assuming somebody is on a front mount setup, and it can be done top mount, is I'm having, I'm having people do the, the pre-throttle body pressure sensor. That allows us to do the throttle mass airflow calculations for part throttle. So that's, that's become pretty standard too. So that's kind of the order at which I recommend adding things to take advantage of what you can. 
So I think you kind of covered up uh, what Josh asked too. He's like to maximize data acquisition, what sensors should be added to maximize my Amtron experience. You basically just went over that. Now, again, yeah. the harder you go, the more oh. sensors. Yeah, I there's no such thing as. I also, I forgot to mention exhaust data. back pressure. Exhaust back pressure is a really good that sensor to have too. Huge for us this year. Huge yeah, we for use us that a lot. We use yep. that a lot to know where your turbo was at in terms of efficiency. We learned a lot off of that this year. And we went from scary, not reliable to surprisingly quite reliable. I mean, the only thing that really killed our engine in the end of the year was me. So, uh, yeah, and that's, I can't, I can't tune you from shifting into the wrong gears on the H. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> can you, can you turn down the, uh, the, the money shift tables for me next year, please? We can put a sequential gearbox in it and put you in track mod. Yeah, but that's lame. Mm. Street mods right. where the war's at. All the kids well, played street. We're in the right gear, bud. Yeah, I'll I'll do what I can do. Um okay. uh Ryan asked, uh, so on the BRZ note, uh, how does Mtron deal with direct injectors and uh better DI and port? Yep, so I can answer that. So on on the FT86, the FT86 ECU already doesn't control the direct injection directly. There's a secondary controller that mounts up next to the engine that runs the DI pump and runs the DI injectors. So we're so talking we're first gen BRZ and first FT86. Gen, yes. so okay. FT86. I'll call it FT86 for clarity and GR86 for the other one, for the newer Sounds one. Sounds good. Okay. So the FT86 has a standalone DI and high pressure pump controller. And when you plug an Mtron, plug an ECU into those cars, it controls that controller just like it would stock. What, what we're going to be doing for the FT, excuse me, the GR86 is either, Mtron's still working on this, but there's going to be a secondary controller that the Mtron controls, just like because the GR86 ECU does directly control on those cars, there'll be a secondary controller that Mtron talks to and controls. So that's... Uh... Okay, so that's the answer. D, so, so, and and to answer the question more directly, at this time, Mtron doesn't offer any ECUs that can directly control a direct injection pump. That part wouldn't be so hard, but more importantly, the DI injectors. DI injector control is kind of tricky. It requires specific drivers and specific pieces of hardware that that Mtron hasn't built yet. They may at some point, but using a secondary controller is obviously works fine. It works well enough that you know Toyota and Subaru did it OEM on the FT86. So Ryan's saying, I thought Graham had mentioned a math model in Mtron, but I think I misread, misinterpreted the description of the throttle uh, SD speed density model. Yeah, they, sure. they have a throttle, they have throttle mass flow, which is mm -hmm. using the two pressure sensors and the throttle plate. They do, they can use a math sensor input. You could, if you wanted to, use the math sensor to calculate your airflow if you really wanted to, um, it exists to do. It's not it's not necessarily common or to use, but it could be done. One of the, what, there was actually a car that I started tuning remotely, and we actually started with the math model, and it worked great. And then he made some other changes, and we moved to speed density, and it worked even better. You know, so yep. Um, a question from the chat: How does yep. your experience um, with open source ECUs? differ from these high-end closed source ECUs? Well, open source is still a stock ECU, so you're still yeah. bound by all the same limitations as you are. Cobb, the question was Cobb, open source standalone, such as Speedwino, which I think is an Arduino? 
Oh, okay. No, yeah. So I've seen some of those coming is this, around. Is this Tony's question? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some of these coming around. I, I've looked at them on a high level. I haven't dug into them and tried to do any tuning with them. They look kind of interesting and neat. The, the problem that you're going to run into with open source type stuff like this is you're going to have to do, you're going to have to DIY the firmware and the controls yourself in a lot of cases, not all the cases, but the benefit with the Mtron is that all of the firmware is written for you. You just jump in and turn things on and away you go to some degree. Some of those open source ECUs, yeah, it's a black box, but you you have to go even deeper than we're already going with a standalone to, to take advantage of it. I think that might be the challenge there. I, I think really what it comes down to is um, this is one of the advantages of capitalism. If you're making money off of what you're, you're providing, um, more than likely you're going to be able to hire people to try harder to make more money. I, I mean, it really comes down to that. So it, it, I think, it, I think open source and community source things definitely have their place. Um, but if something you pay for is probably going to be a lot more polished experience. Um, now there are situations where there are some extraordinarily smart people doing some extraordinarily amazing stuff with open source based things. Um, and I mean, hell for years, we did some amazing open source stuff with stock ECUs. Um, and this is the same thing that trickles over into the standalone ECUs. Don't get me wrong. There's probably some amazing things you can do to, for it with it and there's probably some situations where that might actually be your best option but if you can run something like an mtron you're probably better off or you know even a haltech link you know a lot of this stuff's already built out for you yep exactly okay um kyle's got a great question and i i definitely want graham to pop in with us too um how much back pressure were you seeing that became problematic um so um he, basically, what he's trying to ask is if we want to share specifics on that. And I, well, I've got no problem talking about it. Yeah, James answered it pretty well. And I don't, I don't have the yeah. data in front of me. I'm not really prepared to be able to exact say what we were seeing. I can't remember. But James James made a, a very quick, good point in there. Generally, you don't want to go past one to one. You don't yep. want your you don't want your back pressure to be exceeding your manifold absolute pressure. So, in other words, if you if you're at let's say 40 psi and you're at sea level, that's that's about 54.5 PSI of absolute pressure. If you're looking at the EMAP and you're seeing 60, 65, 70, you've got a lot more pressure on the, you know, on the exhaust side than you do on the manifold side, and you're going to be operating pretty inefficiently at that point. So yep. that's that kind of that's the answer there. Is that we, yeah, you don't want to get much past one to one. So if you're if you're trying to go to a boost level and you're not getting there without having a lot of back pressure, you might want to try a, a bigger exhaust housing like we've tested on your car. And if yeah. that's not doing it, then you might need to go to a bigger turbocharger for your engine. You might be undersized on your turbocharger. Yeah, which I think we were running into some issues with back pressure, even though we had a fairly large turbocharger on the car. Um, the the twin scroll setup and and how that was, we, we are pretty sure yeah. that was one of the big issues that was causing a lot of the reliability problems. And making our exhaust manifold freakishly hot um, on my uh, on, on my old setup, that old twin scroll setup. Um, it, I don't think there's anything against the Borg. It's just what we were asking it to do within that situation. Um, probably, it, it, I don't think the it was a great match. Uh, and it, I think that setup actually probably would have worked better in a sw uh, single scroll setup. Uh, but yeah. Um, 
that it, you know, it, it, and that's why we went with the size hot side we did. I'm trying to remember what we end up on the 1.2. Um, yeah, it was a yeah, huge hot side, the 1.21, and we gave yeah. up some fuel, but we definitely did pick up some top end power on your car. Yeah, and we we do believe that was due to some you know pressure, and and it really wasn't worth. We we were more interested in the reliability side of that than the power side of that. Um, yep. just so we could make the whole season. So we decided to go with a bigger hot side because what we gave up wasn't worth it for the pressure that we saw increase. So, yep. and all of that was learned through pressure sensors, which is something I didn't have until this year. So, um, secondary control. Okay, cool. Um, Jordan, I've seen some drag racers use a second gear lockout. So you can't money shift. However, I've seen them with manual unlock pins, so that's not useful. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, yeah, a second gear lockout might be cool, but then there's situations where I'd kind of like to get in second gear. Plus, um, realistically, my third to second would have been the same thing if I went, you know, I guess there's not very many instances where I went, I would be looking to go grab sixth and grab fourth. I, I... Maybe maybe there is a mechanical thing to keep me out of second. I don't know. Not a bad idea, you know. Especially if it was like easy to. It's it's relatively easy to grab when you when you know you need second for some reason. Yeah, I I don't know why I would. I, I, I of no track that we would go to. Can I think of? Well, oh, okay, I can think of one. But hey, hey yeah, I got it. All right, into it. okay. Hopefully, hopefully, Dylan's paying attention. Okay. Okay. So Dylan. what we're going to do, what we're going to do, and again, this isn't like anything special that Mtron can only do, but yeah. we're going to utilize a custom output on Mtron to run a solenoid that locks out second gear above certain speeds. Well, how are we going to lock out? It, we could make it just a physical thing that hang on, once hang I on, get moving, I just click the Listen, thing so I can't down. get into it. Hey, hey, slow down. It okay. would have to be something designed around the the shift linkage to basically not allow you to select the one two gate above a certain speed where you'd never want to man getting that dialed would be so hard but it'd be cool it, it could just be like some sort of like a pneumatic uh, pneumatic um you know little protrusion that comes out you know it just comes out and it locks it locks the stick from going to the one two when you're above a certain speed i mean how hard could it be to design something like this the 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 way to do it would actually be something set up to block that that for your shift finger from going over on the inside in the transmission in the trans wouldn't be because all that 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 works isn't very hard the challenge is you you know if trying to implement that means pulling the transmission taking it apart adding that on the inside if you could implement something on the linkage to prevent the linkage from going in the direction that is the one two gate above a certain speed is that not a simple solution it is, but you would also have to think about the amount of slack that is in our uh, listen, our Dewey. Dewey, you just drive the car. This isn't a problem for you. This is a <laughs> and Dylan gets a you. fucking mathing. Listen, I tune it. <laughs> Dylan, Dylan builds it. We save you from yourself, and you win. Okay. Well, we okay. will think about this. <laughs> this is not the first time people have just uh, invented really good solutions for. It, for I mean, that's that's true. Okay. Um. James, uh, AM EMS dash four is my favorite ECU. Um, mega s- micro squirt, you know, he's screaming all sorts of crazy stuff in here. <laughs> I, I love James. Um, 
it, it for honestly for old like B series Hondas and stuff like that. Some of those older ECUs did the job. <laughs> there, there, there's something to be said about an older, simpler engine that we're not trying to do like completely wacky shit with. And a lot of what we're trying to do may not make sense for like a, a drag race setup at all. You know what I mean? Like at, at, at what point in a drag situation are you running partial throttle? You know, that's a partial throttle stuff is where this starts getting wacky. And in my only situation, heading, it's a different animal. Towards the wall and you're trying to save it. Yeah. You know, which I is you got to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze then? You know, and for me, totally is for, you know, a drag car, even our crazy drag car. Um, it may not be. Um, uh, Tim's talking about how he's tuned a few turbo Miatas on mega squirt two and three, and it's okay. Uh, but leaves a lot to be desired, you know, and that's that a lot of that comes down to the firmware that exists in it. You know, it isn't that the hardware itself is bad. It's the software and, you know, the, the, the user experience on that end can be a little rough. So James, we don't talk about infinity. <laughs> <laughs> um okay what else do we got um i'm still i'm trying to catch up a lot the chat got really fast for a second um do we have any other questions yeah i was curious uh since i'm planning on running the 8474 twin scroll dewey was pre mat pre g35 again i think a lot of that has to do kyle with how that was running on my car in particular and some of it had to do with the exhaust manifold um that turbo was great to me. And, and with that stated, uh, man, we beat the shit out of that turbo for years. Uh, it, Graham will attest my 80, 8374 and 8474. I never had a turbo failure the entire oh, yeah. time. I beat the shit out of that boost leaks, all sorts of crap over spinning the hell out of it. It never failed on me. Yep. Those things I mean, just they they don't take they don't quick they don't take quick changes in shaft speed so they don't really like drag race flat foot shifting with cob EC, with cob tunes on stock ECUs that's when yeah. I've seen them come apart but for our purposes it was fine man it, it, it's, you ran one for years you never had a turbo failure we always you know and the bearings are always good you know like we never yeah. had a seal shit on us like yeah, they were the great turbos the the challenge with the EFRs is they just never made the power that we expected they could they mm-hmm. just they just, you know, they were so good. They were so good, but they, they did not punch at their turbine wheel size. You know, if no. you did, they just didn't for whatever reason, they were really good, but you had to like keep going bigger and bigger to get what you wanted for power. And even then they, they just, you know, for what we were trying to do for time attack purposes, they weren't, it wasn't quite the right option. Garrett is giving us what we're looking for there. Garrett's really, really working well with what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I think some power. of that is sizing. You know, and I I think that may work out phenomenal for Kyle. It's just Subarus. Honestly, Subarus are kind of an inefficient engine and a more efficient engine will probably work better with it. Um, I mean, look at Will All Young. Look at all the shit Will All Young's done. He's he's been with Borg forever. And Will All Young has set how many records on random EFRs? Like, Will All Young's a very good example of like, you know, if you got an efficient engine, you can do some amazing stuff. Um, And there, there you go. Uh, it, it's, I'm not saying that like the FR is a bad turbo and it, it just, it, it didn't work for what we were using. We got, and it did actually work. I shouldn't even say that it worked. It just, the Garrett's working better. So yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, damn drivers trying to make suggestions. Yeah, you shouldn't let me make suggestions. Um, holy crap, I am literally trying to catch up. This this turbo ch- the, this chat got like crazy. Um, uh, what screen do you guys like? Uh, for an Mtron. Okay, I, I I can dive into this a little bit. It really depends on what you're trying to do. Okay, there's I I really like my aim dash, but my aim dash has limitations. Um. There is some super cool stuff that the new Mtron Dash can do that honestly really makes me stare at that just because of the customizability of it. Now, if what you're doing is drag racing, a lot of the stuff that I like about AIM doesn't apply. So it's really like, get what works. Hell, even that AEM Dash, you can do some amazing stuff and the price of that thing is incredible. You know, but some of those higher end dashes... Boy, you can do some really, really cool stuff, especially that Mtron dash. Like we were talking about it the other day, they're implementing GPS-based, um, so like lap-based boost control strategies. That it, so this is uh, some more crazy stuff. I really like about Mtron is let's say we're coming. We don't want the the engine to go nuts, but man, we really need to get down the back straight, uh, uh mid Ohio a little quicker. We're gonna turn her up a little bit just for the straightaway. It has the ability to know we're on this straightaway and can give us more boost. Or maybe we're having a problem like, hey, we're coming out of this corner a little ugly. Maybe we can dial the boost back just in this area to give us a little more control. And then we we haul ass down. This is all stuff you can do with with Mtron's with Mtron that I, I haven't seen other companies make specifically for that. Now I'm not saying you wouldn't be able to build this into something else through, you know, that's one of the cool things you can do with standalones is if you have this input and that input and that input, you can overlay it. But this is like built out already, which I thought was super cool. Um, But there's different, it really depends on what you're trying to do as to what dash makes sense to you. I really like the aim due to the data on the backside of it. Aim, even though it's not very customizable, almost every track um almost every track organizer uh, or uh track coach um and you're trying to overlay data and data program can take aim data and do something with it so the data coming from the aim dash itself is really helpful for somebody on the track side of stuff um but if like i said if you're drag racing or something else or you need something a lot more customizable you may want to look into something else i I don't know if you've got something to throw into that graham both you and i are running aim dashes and we both kind of have some of the same issues there's some limitations that piss me off to no end there's yeah i mean the super cool thing is there's a lot of really cool dashes out there these days um we i in in my sti because i need all the can bus stuff to work um, that theoretically could be done with the new Mtron dash. I just don't have the possess the skills or know anybody who does that can put it all together to make all the OEM stuff work correctly to take out the OEM yeah. dash. So I leaned on Corbin Johnson of Johnson tuning to build me a Motec C127 dash replacement that communicates with the Mtron perfectly works on the CAN bus has all the cool Motec things, but he has all the CAN bus stuff done for it. So all the OEM stuff works correctly. So I'm running a Motec dash now. We, we have AIM in Kim's GC previously working with the Link ECU, and it's amazing. But I think we're going to change her over to this new, this fancy new Mtron dash. We're going to put that fancy new Mtron dash in the GC. That whole GC concept is going to be, it's going to move to Mtron 2. And it's going to be sort of leave it as OEM GC looking as we want, or as, as she wants it to be. 
but with cool technology under the covers. So that's our plan yeah, for that. Part. That's super I mean, it, there's it, dash dashes in the past like five years have went crazy. There's so many epic options. They're looking um, like OEMs the same thing now. PDMs. It was like dash and PDMs went nuts in the past five years. Yep. So, um, what do we got? Uh, I ran NFR solo because I got it on eBay from an IndyCar team. Nothing wrong with that. Um, Kyle, uh, so the response, so good response, but not power for the wheel size. Yeah, basically peak power wasn't great, but man, I, I got to be real. That EFR responded like nothing else. It, yeah, and, that, and was, that part I, of it's really good. I am, I am sponsored by Garrett, okay? And so this may not, but I tell you what, that like on-off throttle um, response from an EFR, that turbo comes back lightning fast. And a lot of that has to do with how light the wheel was. but. That was also some of its downside. If you overspin that turbo, bad things happen. So it's, it's, you're, you're, you know, it's, you're, you're gonna, there's trade offs with everything. There's trade offs yep. with everything. So, um, Tim, they got into talking about, um, you know, precisions and some of the stuff for drag racing. I'm still one of those people for drag racing or a streetcar. Precision's probably great. There's a reason you don't see a lot of precisions on track and a lot of it has to do with there's a difference between boost threshold and lag and you know people can say what they want but precisions from what i my experience has been with them they they're they're phenomenal at making power for their size and the boost thresholds phenomenal they look absolutely fantastic on a dyno graph and they work great for drag racing they're not the greatest road course turbos yeah, they, they lack in transient response a bit. And then they, they only have oil cooling, which can be challenging. You you, you know, in, in road racing, water cooling is pretty helpful. Not saying they can't survive. There's, there's cars that have used them for short little stints, but you might have to limit your laps, you know. Just something, you know, you might have more wear and tear on them without the water cooling, maybe. Yep. So, um. Can you make an Mtron dash look at like an RA 10,000 RPM DCD cluster? So Ryan, kind of, yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing you can do with some of these other dashboards that you kind of can't do with AIM is you can customize the living shit out of it. Um, the more expensive it, but just get ready. <laughs> it's it's going to take time and it's going to take effort, but they're, they're pretty wide open. Um, so uh, simple 500 horsepower build suggestions. Depends on the car, Logan. Um, you know, I, I, that actually is something that I think I want to uh, have a conversation with. I think I'm going to bring James on. We're going to argue about the right way to make 500 horsepower on every car. Like every every different, I, I, like five layouts. How to make 500 horsepower on that in, in the different approaches to it. Um, I'm sure Graham's going to scream from the sidelines when we're saying some of this stuff, but it's going to happen. So if you want to have that conversation, Logan... Totally down with that because it, it changes depending on the car to a certain degree. Okay. And there's 500 horsepower and then there's 500 horsepower plus the other stuff that needs to go with it. Um, Dylan says C6 vet get a cam and heads. Uh, okay. Like I said, different cars, <laughs> um, you know, but what you need to make 500 horsepower on an old bug eye is different than a uh, 2017 STI. And like, it's not, too much different than a 14 WRX, except how long is that trans going to last? You know, there's, there's considerations. And then we also have the conversation about 15 plus WRXs or a BRZ. 
you know, we we had a post the other day of um, basically VA STIs in the fast five. Like this is how you would make five hundred, you know, for set amount. And um, most of us agree with it to a certain degree. There are some things that maybe some of us would have liked to see changed a little bit. And I think that, but it it, it really stokes some interesting conversation. And I think that's going to be for a. Uh, um, here in a few weeks, I've got a couple of people I got scheduled and I think that's going to be one of our, our conversations we're going to have in the not too distant future. So I definitely want you guys to tune in for that. Um, that'll be a fun one. Um, uh, we got some talk about Hiroshima hair blowers, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Anybody else? I, we're we're still open for questions. If not, man, we've been going for almost two hours, but I think this has been an absolutely fantastic podcast. Um, I I definitely got to thank Graham and Warranty for being on. Warranty, I know you didn't get to talk a whole lot, but I think you you what you did say um, definitely added to it. And Graham, I know you just talked your brains out, and we appreciate it. Yep, I'm ready for a nap. Maybe Dylan wants in real quick. We're gonna bring Dylan in. And this was, uh, some, this was some high scientific shit. What up, D? You're on mute. Oh, James wants in too. Hello. Right, or let's end it on a high note. James, what's up? Dylan, you're on, but you're on mute for some reason. There oh. you go. Hi. Say your piece. <laughs> I just want to say hello. That was it. Oh, hey, what's That's up, that. dude? James, I think the I think um with all that discussion that happened the other day of the 500 horsepower post. I think you and I are going to have a how to make 500 horsepower with different vehicles. I think you and I should have that talk. I think it would be fun. And I think there would be, we both would probably have slightly different approaches. I think it'd be mm-hmm. a good time. So I, yeah, I think maybe I'll lay out like the different cars and you and I will approach 500 horsepower differently and why we approach it the way we do. Oh, there's so many different ways to do it depending on budget and there how is. you know about it. And I mean, I've done it. I've done it some sloppy ways. I've done it. The there's just some way. really ugly ways to make five. Oh yeah, um, I, want I want in on that conversation. Sure, why some, not? You could do we some nasty shit and have a ball. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's really it's really up to what you like doing. I don't care if you want to do it the correct way, yep. you want to do it the wrong way. Um, like I said, there's the, I've got a tuner in the chat, and he's gonna hate me for saying it, but you could do so much garbage and just have a great time <laughs> for a limited amount of time. You're here for a good time, not a long time with that stuff. But oh, yeah. um, I don't know. We we could have we could have fun with that. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, a that's a totally different conversation though, and I don't want to elaborate too much on that. Oh yeah. So, Dylan, you got anything you want to say real quick? <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say that if you blow the engine at the track, I'm taping the hood shut with orange tape. Oh no! Stay the fuck away from it with that orange garbage. God. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's I'm gonna, so gonna hang it, I'm gonna hang it on the wall in the trailer. I'm so mad that our best pictures from Lime Rock have orange tape all over the damn car. It looks like ass. So we ran out of black tape though. And it, God, it looked ugly. But you we were had so some mad. Great pictures. Oh, it looked like shit. So mad. <laughs> oh man, whatever. All right. Well, we're gonna have um some. We we should talk about and I think we should honestly we should get into some of the junkyard bad idea shit that we've done back in the day too i think that'd be a fun conversation yeah we'll bring dylan in we'll bring james in hell if graham wants to join in on that and he can just be mad the whole time that would be fun um, yeah, no, i'm okay with that if, if, you want, if you want to get into the grimy shit here at iag i'm your guy you're gonna do some <laughs> sketchy shit um i enjoy that more than anything else 
So, so let's, well, let's, I mean, let's plan that for not two weeks, but three weeks from now, because I have to talk to Ryan next week. And then we're going to have the one and only, the one and only um, uh, DRP, um, the king of, of we're going to have, God, why is my brain fucking Rick turning Wilson. off right now? Yeah. We're going to have Rick Wilson on and it's going to be a really good time. So yeah, that'll be an interview that I don't have to try very hard. <laughs> That'll be fun. So, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's reconvene. This has been great. Thanks guys. Um, thanks for helping out in the chat, James and Dylan, both of you guys are doing a great job and, uh, we're going to end it right here. So this was awesome. All right. Have fun. All right. right, See you guys. Cool. And, um, again, this will be going up on our, uh, on our Spotify and we're on Apple now. Holy shit. That was so hard to do. We are on Apple. (laughs) Do us a favor though. Share this guys. It really helps us a lot. And um, we'll be here next week on Thursday. So it's going to be a really good time. Um, Come back uh, and we'll chat. And this will be great. I'm super stoked to see the amount of new people that were in here. That was killer for damn near two hours. It's awesome. So we'll see you next time. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. Let's do it again.